Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today and beyond. Uh, always with me by my side, the incredible Elizabeth Liba. Liz, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm a little bit mm, not too happy. I only got incredible. I didn't get stupendous. I didn't get amazing. So, well, you get all of those things, mm-hmm. but if, if it makes you feel any better, I <laughs> forgot to say my own name. So, oh, you know, no. I complimented you. This is Dr. Joe Salustio, and, you know, every single time I, I think about making sure I introduce you in the proper way, I forget to say <laughs> my, my own name. So the we're gonna have way. to we're, we're gonna have to continue to work on that. But uh, yeah. I will tell you, I will tell you, we have. Um, I always say this that we have a special guest, but I think we really do have a special guest today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is we're gonna say this is an unconventional episode mm-hmm. of the Edup Experience. We're gonna reach outside of of what our normal higher education uh, oversight is and uh, talk about personal self-improvement. On the line right now, we have Dre Baldwin, also known as Dre All Day. He is founder and CEO of the Work On Your Game brand, which is also a company. And uh, this guy, ladies and gents, is all over social media, and we are honored to have him with us today. Dre, how you doing? I'm doing great, Joe and Liz. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, before we get into it, uh, for the people that we care about, we always like to ask how you're doing, Dre, how's your health, how's your family, that's what matters most in these times that we live in right now, so I want to make sure everybody in your life is okay. Yeah, well, my health is great, Uh, my family is great, last time I spoke to them, so I think everybody's doing good, I appreciate you asking. Uh, No worries, Uh, you know, you look like a a healthy guy, um, uh, and that you take good care of yourself, that's important right now. Uh, for all of us yeah. to get off our, our bottoms and get in the gym or do something to stay active. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, staying active also includes uh, keeping your mind active. And, you know, you, right. have, um, you have created a, I don't know, empire is the right word right now, but you've written books. I like that word. You, yeah. you like empire? <laughs> Create an empire. Yeah. Books, podcasts, <laughs> oh, companies, speaking. Talk to, uh, why don't we just start? What is the work on your game company and brand and why did it how did it start and and tell us a little bit about your background as well coming from the city of philadelphia where i was born and raised i was always into sports Uh, came to basketball at a pretty late age so to speak for anyone who wants to go somewhere in the sport didn't start playing until i was age 14 i didn't make my high school team until i was a senior sat on the bench that one year averaged two points per game and for those who don't don't know basketball two points is not a lot in basketball maybe (laughs) soccer or hockey but in basketball it's not a lot so I ended up walking on. I went to college, walked on at a Division three school, which is the third tier of college sports. There, I didn't set the world on fire, but I did have a career in college. But graduating from college, I didn't have any prospects 
no job offers to play professional basketball. I knew overseas was going to be my avenue. And there was literally no information out there on how to do it. The only thing I knew was that there were these events that you could go to to basically show yourself. It's called an exposure camp. It's like a job fair for athletes. It was able to get me connected to start my career. So that's how I started playing basketball overseas. Uh, traveled through eight different countries over nine years. Started in Lithuania. My last place was Slovakia. Several places in between there. While doing that, at the same time, I started publishing videos to this brand new website called YouTube, and this was in 2005. And these are all basketball-related videos at the time, about five years after that. And I know I'm skipping over a lot, but I'm sure we'll get into it uh, in this conversation. Players started asking me about the mental side of the game. Like, Dre, what keeps you showing up every day to work on your game? Or how can you perform in the games when there's all these fans watching, as well as you perform in practice when nobody's watching? How can you have the same confidence? Or why did you keep showing up when you got cut from the high school team three years in a row? Or how do you even get started doing all this stuff that you're doing? So that's where the discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative came in, just answering those questions. And what happened, uh, Joe and Liz, was that people who were not basketball players started finding my content when I was talking about these subjects, when I wasn't doing dribbling drills and dunking and shooting jump shots in my video. Once a week, I was making this video called The Weekly Motivation. I was just talking about these mindset things, just off the top of my head, because players kept asking me about it. And people who didn't play basketball found me through those, and they would let me know, like, hey, I don't play ball, but the stuff you're talking about, I use this stuff at work. This stuff applies to life, so I just wanted to let you know that. And that planting the seed in my mind, this was still about five years before I stopped playing basketball, that this is what I can do when sports is over. So that's how I knew what work on your game would become. Work on your game is all about taking the mental tools necessary to succeed in professional sports, because that's my background in sports and teaching how those tools can be applied to business and life. And what the working your game philosophy is all about is based on four central pillars. That's discipline, showing up every single day to do the work, confidence, putting yourself out there boldly and authentically, mental toughness, continuing to show up, doing the work, putting yourself out there, even when the success you've expected to achieve is yet to be achieved, and personal initiative, which is going making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. How did you have the strategic foresight to know that you needed to invest in yourself outside of basketball, because I would think that any professional athlete mm -hmm. is focusing on, well, the professional athlete part, delivering, right. trying to, trying to increase their worth, right. Try to get a better contract, put, put up points on the board. Doesn't matter what sport you play uh, so that your agent can then leverage you into a better contract and, and your shelf life for lack of a better way to say it mm -hmm. is only a certain number of years. Right. So, so for you to sit down as a young man, younger man, uh, and say, okay, I got to plan for my future and invest in mm -hmm. myself in some way that's going to, you know, open me up financially for the long run. How, how do you sit down and make that decision or does that unfold? Um, was it unfolding organically more than anything else? And then there was a moment where you thought I can capitalize this on this for the future. How does that happen when you're trying to make money and put food on the table, frankly, as a professional athlete? Excellent question. Well, it's actually a combination of almost all the things that you said. So first of all, I come from a family of educators. My mother is a teacher. My, her mother, my grandmother was a teacher. She's retired. My sister is a college professor at UCLA. Uh, my best friend, female friend, she's a school teacher. Her husband is a school teacher. So I come from a whole world of educators. And I kind of put myself in that category as well, even though I just didn't go the traditional route of doing so. But I will tell you that my mom, 
the year after I graduated college, I was back living in my parents' house. This is as a side note. I was back living in my parents' house, and I didn't yet have a job playing overseas. My mom dropped the hint more than once, like, hey, you should put in your paperwork and be a substitute teacher so you can at least, you know, make some money and, you know, get out of this house. <laughs> but I ended up getting a basketball job, so that didn't end up happening. But to answer your question, uh, the first thing was being at my mother's educator, she always had us reading books from a very young age, my sister and I. My sister's a year older than me, and she's the one who went the educator route, the direct educator route, traditional, I guess we say, educator route. And I was always into reading, always into writing from a very young age. I found out, I came across personal development probably around the age of 19 or 20 when I was maybe in the middle of my college years. And then when I got into basketball, when I was trying to get into basketball professionally, that is, I didn't get a job immediately. When I first graduated from college, as I said, I had no prospects. So my first year out of college, I worked a couple of quote unquote regular jobs. I worked at Valley Total Fitness as a membership salesperson. I worked at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. And it was then that I said to myself, you know, once I do make this basketball thing happen, there's no guarantee that I'm going to have just a lifetime contract and there'll be no Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, everything is just set. I don't have to do anything but play basketball. It, I might not get my first job, let alone another job after that and a job after that. So what other skills do I have? What else can I bring to the table and that can bring value to the world outside of being an athlete? Because we all know that not every athlete makes it. Uh, being an athlete is, as they say, one in a, a one in a million shot. And even when you get in, there's no guarantee that you're going to stay in. And even if you yeah, do and oh, make by it, the way, don't don't roll your ankle yeah. and, or hurt your knee along the way, right? Right. So, you get so injured, even if you get in, you can't injure yourself, but you're done anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And. At the same time, even if you do, quote unquote, make it by age 30, your career might be over. If you're amazing, if you're a legend, your career is over by age 40 and you still have hopefully 40 plus more years to live on this planet. So what else do you what else can you do? What else do you bring to the table? The last thing I wanted to be was a former athlete who's not doing anything right now, whenever that right now happens to be. So I always have my an eye on what else am I going to be able to bring to the table when sports is over? Now, luckily for me, I defied the odds and had a nine-year career in professional sports. But at the same time, during that career, Joe and Liz, there were many times when I didn't have a job overseas. There were many times I was just a free agent athlete waiting for the phone to ring and waiting for my inbox to light up. And while that was going on, like you said, you still want to pay your bills and keep your cell phone on and put gas in your car. So I was doing like training people, training regular people, training athletes, and I'm making these videos on YouTube. And around this time, this is just a stroke of luck thing, YouTube was acquired by Google. They started running ads on YouTube videos and you can make revenue from that. And from there, that's when I first started making money on the internet was ad revenue and maybe selling things on eBay. I had been doing that back in college, but it wasn't my stuff. Then around 2010, five years into my career, that's when I started making my own programs, my own programs and products. And that's when I actually became an entrepreneur. So this is about 10 years ago uh, to the day. And that's when I said to myself, all right, this is what I can do for the rest of my life. I can't, I won't be able to dunk a basketball forever, but I will be able to use my intellectual property, what I have in my head, and be able to transfer that knowledge to other people, and I can get paid for that forever. So that's how I knew entrepreneurship was going to be the end game for me as a, a person in the, in the working world period, in any aspect of it. So even once basketball was over, so I knew I could always leverage basketball as you know, a credibility piece, but... When you're not a player anymore, all right, people don't really care. As soon as you stop playing, you're a former player. All right, now people want to know, who, you, who are you today? So I knew I always wanted to have a next thing. I never wanted to be a, a former something 
with nothing else to add to that sentence. You know, Liz, I'm going to bring you in here because I, you know, I always joke that Liz texts me and tells me to stop monopolizing the episode. In this case, she actually <laughs> is doing it right this very second uh, and texting me <laughs> to be quiet. Uh, but, but, you know, so much of what you said about mental toughness, and you think about, um, you know, professional athletes transitioning into life, uh, there can be mm-hmm. a lot of emotions that come with that depression, self-doubt, oh, yeah. right? you've been good at one thing for so long. And then now Correct. what do you do? Um, a, a lack of discipline around financial management. I mean, I know there's mm-hmm. programs in the NFL and NBA that, that help players transit, you know, not lose all their money um, so that they can, you know, have, have a long life of, of health, but there's so many right. possibities that can happen. So, so self-evaluation is so important and Liz, you know, I think that's a pretty powerful story. Absolutely. I wanted to ask something along those lines as well, because I thought the same thing, being a professional athlete, being even in college, being an athlete, I know is very, very difficult. I went to a big football school, University of Florida, and I mean, just the amount of dedication that you have to have in order to be an athlete and then pursue that professionally and, and all that drive and all the motivation and all the practice and everything that goes into that. Talk to us a little bit about mental toughness. A lot of us are dealing with so many unforeseen circumstances right now with COVID-19, and it's difficult. Sheltering in place, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of feeling overwhelmed. Some people are struggling from the mental health perspective. How do you develop that winning mindset? Like, Can you give us some of your words of wisdom about mental toughness and how to overcome adversity. Because you've had a lot of that and you've been able to apply that and really mobilize everything that you have within you to be so successful. What would you suggest for those that are struggling right now as far as just that mental aspect of everything that we're going through? Absolutely. That's a great question, Liz. So the first thing is the mental toughness. Uh, some people might call it perseverance, grit, determination, resilience. Uh, I've heard them used interchangeably. And how I define it as far as the work on your game philosophy goes is your willingness to remain disciplined and still be confident even when things are not working in your favor. And for me, uh, just being an athlete, it's just part of my wiring that I have a competitive wiring. So when I face setbacks, when we talk about athletic setbacks, uh, setbacks of not being able to professionally, not being able to get the job that I want, not being able to get into the career that I wanted to get into, I always took those things as challenges and tried to face them head on. All right, okay, so this is not working right here. I use that as, it sounds cliche, but use that as motivation to drive me forward. Now, as far as someone who's listening to this right now, maybe you're an athlete, maybe you're not, probably not. And you're asking yourself, okay, there's challenges going on right now. You might have career challenges, professional challenges, maybe mental health challenges, just everything that's going on in the world. A lot going on right now. I think we all can agree. What I tell people, and this is something that I talk about in my book, is that everybody in life is either going to be what I call a story or a statistic. And the way it works is as follows. Let's just say, let's use sports world as an example. They say to athletes, anybody, a third grader, eight years old, says, I want to be an NFL player. And their teacher says to them, well, it's a one in a million, 10. 99% of athletes don't make it. And that is true. So the 99% are the statistics. The 1% who do make it, the Kobe Bryant, the Michael Jordan, the Tom Brady, the Mike Tyson, the whatever athlete you want to name, those are the people who get to tell their story. So what I tell people is this, in life, everybody goes through stuff. 
Everybody goes through challenges. Everybody has setbacks. Everybody fails. Everybody loses. Everybody faces situations where it looks like nothing's going to work out, that you might as well quit. You might even have people who tell you to your face that you should quit. Maliciously, you have people who tell you to quit because they feel like they're trying to help you. Everybody goes through things. The question is not whether you're going to go through things or not. It is not who goes through more, who goes through less. The question is, are you going to continue to keep going after you go through the stuff and get to a point of success? Or are you going to give up? And be, because if, if you give up, you become a statistic. You become one of the 99% who didn't make it. If you keep going, you become the 1% who didn't make it. And the 1% who do make it, you know what they get to do? They get to tell their story. Because people who are going through the stuff right now, they say, all right, you are where I want to be five years from now. You sat in the seat that I'm sitting in right now. Please tell me the story of how you went through the same challenges that I'm going through right now, but you were able to make it anyway. All right. So when you go to the bookstore or Amazon, you see all these memoirs and self-help books and people who have podcasts and people who uh, create content and people who have YouTube channels. And all they're doing is telling you their story. I went through this stuff and I made it anyway. Well, not all of them, but the ones who are actually have some value. Now I went through stuff, but instead of becoming a statistic, I'm able to tell my story because this is how I dealt with it. This is how I dealt with that setback. This is how I dealt with being doubted. This is how I dealt with coming up short and failing. This is how I dealt with my business going under. This is how I dealt with a career-threatening injury. This is how I dealt with all these things that looked like there was no way I'd be able to figure this out. I'm able to tell my story because I had the mental toughness to go through those situations. And that's the thing that uh, attracts people to me is the fact that I developed that mental toughness. And I think that's uh, it is a great, great that you asked me that question because I think that is the most important factor for anyone in life to get to somewhere significant or something that society sees as a significant achievement is not that you were just super talented or super lucky and talent and luck do play a role. Don't get it twisted. They do play a role, but it's your willingness to be mentally tough enough to fight through the stuff that allows you to tell your story at the end. Yeah, Liz, let me just ask him a follow-up real fast on that. Yeah, and, and then I'll, yeah. you, you, I was watching one of your videos uh, online, and mm-hmm. just going along this theme, you, you said something. I know I'm going to get it wrong here, but it was the, the difference between uh, uh, being an athlete or a civilian and being a professional athlete was, uh-huh. was um, uh, you know, if you're sort of the regular Joe, and I'm a Joe, but regular <laughs> Joe, you're going you're gonna to say, I, I, I tried and I didn't do it. And if you're a professional athlete, it's when I do it, it's going to happen. Right. I believe it's going to happen. That was a big difference between a professional and a non-professional, right? I, I know I don't have it all right. the way right, but I think I got the concept anyway. Yeah. I say, I tell people the key word in mental toughness is until. So the people who come up short, they say, I'm going to try this. If it works, I'll keep doing it. If it works out, I'll see if this is going to go, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a try. Whereas the person who ends up making it, the person who tells their story, they say, I'm going to keep working at this until I figure it out, until I get the result, until I get to where I want to get to in life. Now, that can sometimes be misconstrued by some people, especially athletes. Trust me, it can be misconstrued by athletes. That sometimes people delude themselves into thinking that they're supposed to be in one place when they don't really belong there. And this is something, another thing that uh, attracts people to me is that I'll tell people the truth, that like I mentioned a moment ago, uh, luck and talent do play a role here, especially in the sports world. And if you don't have certain talents in certain sports, you're just not going to make it. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. But in the long run, being that I've been in the game for so long, I get athletes who still come to me to this very day who say, you know, I, I didn't appreciate 
what you said in that video eight years ago when I was in high school and thought I was going to become the next, you know, Dwayne Wade. But now as a grown man, I appreciate that you said that because you were right. You were telling the truth and most people wouldn't say it. So just as a side note, just so people understand that. And uh, the, to wrap up the answer to your question, absolutely with mental toughness, the professional has to show up every single day. I mean, you two notice as educators, you don't always feel like going to work. You don't always feel like dealing with your coworkers. You don't always feel like dealing with your, if you're dealing with students consistently, you don't always feel like doing that. The pro athlete doesn't always even feel like going to practice, believe it or not, even though it looks like a glamorous lifestyle, when you're in it, it's not as glamorous as when you're watching it. You don't always feel like being at work. None of us do. The professional has to show up and deliver anyway, whereas the amateur has the option of not showing up and nobody cares. But the reason nobody cares is nobody's paying them. When people are paying you, are they expecting to deliver? I was thinking about this idea of the concept of the story versus the the statistic, and Mm -hmm. it made me feel really encouraged because I've been having a rough beginning of the week. Uh, There's a lot of talk in the news about social injustice and police brutality. Can you address that a little bit? I think for myself, I speak out a lot and and Joe can probably attest to this since the George Floyd issue. I've been Mm -hmm. very, very vocal about police brutality online and being um, an advocate for the idea that as a society, we really need to change what's happening, not just in the area of policing, but in many different areas in terms of inequity. Mm -hmm. What gives you um, the motivation to keep pushing through. I know that you've spoken out about on your podcast about some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit to that and, and what the advice is that you give and, and, and what special advice might you have for those that want to be vocal or want to speak up about societal change, not just try changing themselves within, which is very, very important. You have to, I think, be able to fix yourself first and, and address mm-hmm. yourself before you can help others. But right. how do you keep pushing if you want to help others and um, you feel as though, sometimes I feel as though I, I run up against a brick wall. It's like you keep trying and you, and you want to seek out, but then there's so many, so many things that seem to be happening that really make you feel like, wow, this is, this is a lot to take in, you know? Well, the first of all, I, I do a lot of media. You are the first person since the summer of this year. You are the first person to ask me a question about that live on the air. So um, I commend you for even asking the questions. I think a lot of people don't even want to touch those subjects. And one thing about me that people know is that I will address any subject. And one thing that I try to do is, is I try to be as objective as possible, as objective as a human being can be. And I try, I, oh, not try, but I do not try to demonize any group of people, whether that be police, whether that be a political group, whether that be a racial group, ethnic group, or religious group. Because as soon as you do that, now it, you will pander to a certain audience who may love it, certain people in that audience, but at the same time, uh, your words are going to fall on deaf ears for anybody who's objectively trying to practically get something, something useful from the conversation. Now, if you just want to stir some people up, and there are plenty of ways to do that, and there are plenty of people on social media that give great tutorials on it every day, whether they know it or not. But as far as I go, I just try to be as objective as possible. And to answer your question more specifically, as a black man and the things that are going on here in America, like I talked about on my show, 
dealing with police um, as a black man. There are certain things that you as a person, like I tell people 99% of what happens in life is out of your control. Right? You don't control whether a cop wants to pull you over or not. You don't control whether it rains outside or it's sunny outside. What you control is your response to a situation. And if your response to a situation makes that situation worse, then you have to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what did you do to cause that situation to get worse? And if somebody comes to you and they have a negative disposition, there are certain things that you can do to diffuse that situation and deal with it as is. And this is something that sometimes I say this to black people and sometimes black people don't like hearing this, especially with uh, what's been going on over the last uh, six months. But it's something that needs to be said. And at the same time, are there things that people in positions of power have done that are not right, things that need to be assessed, things that need to be addressed, absolutely true. And one thing that I tell people is that we gotta be specific. Now, if there's one person who did something wrong, then we gotta deal with that one person. If there's 10 people who did something wrong, we gotta deal with those 10 people, but we have to be careful not to extrapolate what one person or even a group of people have done and extrapolate that to the entire group. Because listen, that same uh, mentality, that same strategy could be used against any group. It could be used against teachers. It could be used against athletes. It could be used against black people, white people, Jewish people, Republicans, Democrats. So as soon as that becomes the norm and it becomes okay, and I think these days it has become okay in certain pockets of society, especially on the internet, then uh, things just get all out of control. Things just get all crazy and sloppy. And I think that's happened in many places. I try to uh, just personally, I always try to set the example with myself of how I'm showing up and how I'm delivering. Somebody could say, listen, people have said negative things about me on the internet. You'd be on it in the game as long as I've been and publish as much content as I have, you're guaranteed to piss somebody off at some point. So I've done it many times. But I try to, even, when I, even if I respond to something that somebody said, I try to respond to it in as objective way as I possibly can, while at the same time, you know, standing my ground on what it is that I want to say. If I may jump in, guys, not that this is my sure. top of, of expertise, but I, I heard you, Dre, take us through your four points of your, of your program in there, mm -hmm. in the way you spoke, right? I'm going to stay right. disciplined. I'm not going to generalize. I'm going to be confident right. in myself, uh, myself and my standing in the world. I'm going to be mm -hmm. mentally tough and not let these other people affect me. And then I'm going to take the personal, personal initiative to, to be uh, educated on the topic and better myself. So that was really, sure. I, didn't um, even I don't know that. if you, yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't know if you planned it that way, but I'm, I'm literally <laughs> watching you tick these things yeah. off, um, which, which is, yeah. is really um, interesting how you did that and taking us back to, to, mm -hmm. you know, um, the, sort of wrapping this around higher education a little bit, you know, as Liz said, right. Liz is a amazing advocate for, uh, for people, for black people in this country and what she's doing on, on LinkedIn in particular. We also have a, a, a the Edup Experience Unplugged where we do YouTube mm -hmm. episodes and discuss our race in America and Liz hosts those, those episodes. It would be interesting to have you on uh, if, if you'd like to talk more uh, about it. With that. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge topic and, and I think it, it, uh, it's hard to take five minutes of an hour-long pod podcast and give it its due. Because um, <laughs> yes, you I said do. it's so much in there that... Man, well, work on your game itself is personal development. Because when I, I first came across, first, I had read, been reading books since I was a, a youth, but no one had ever introduced me to this concept. I didn't know there was, a, I didn't know what the thing that was called personal development. I used to always go into, now I used to 
you too, I'm sure, remember when we used to get our books from bookstores uh, before Amazon took over. Now we're going to bookstores, and I would always go to the human. I would go to the sports section, of course. And then I go to the human psychology section. That's what I always look for. And then, uh, probably around around the age of 20, I got introduced to personal development. And this is when I read uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I was introduced to Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, and it immediately spoke to me. And I had always had a mindset around how do I make myself better? How do I make myself more valuable? How can I make myself more useful in the overall marketplace of whatever it is that I'm doing? Because that's what's going to separate you from anyone else. So that's in sports. You got to make yourself more useful than other players to get the job that they want to get. And just in the world period, the more valuable you are and the more ways you can add value, then the more needed you become. And when you're needed, your price goes up, your value goes up, and you can demand more in the marketplace. This is just the way that the capitalism works. So I've always been about uh, personal development and always been about growing and getting better. And when I started talking about this to, again, my audience initially was just basketball players, and they were coming to me to develop, that was athletic development. But then when I started talking about the mindset stuff, people were like, man, you might be better at the mindset stuff than you are at basketball. So people were I had this disability, this, I guess you could say this gift, but it's honed. I mean, since 2005, we're talking, I mean, they say 10,000 hours to become proficient. I think I'm somewhere close to 20 with the amount of content and the amount of talking that I've done and sharing and writing and all these things of just putting myself out there. One thing that, you know, is interesting, you mentioned uh, equity and people talk diversity and inclusion and inequality and fighting these things these days and something that I've said and you know if we ever do get around to doing that show of yours Liz oh, I'd be happy to talk will, about this. We will get around to it <laughs> if I have okay. to. Oh you're locked in now Dre I'm sorry man okay. you're, you're in it now. Oh I'm in I'm, <laughs> Dr. I'm excited to do Dr. it. Dr. Joe threw you in it so now you're there. <laughs> oh that's, uh, absolutely so one of the things that I tell people like in the when people talk about uh people want equality and so for people to be equal and Nike who's a big they're big in the sports world of course I see these athletes wearing these equality t-shirts. And I, I, when I first saw it, I thought it was funny because I'm like, all right, you guys are the best athletes in the world. You all hit the genetic lottery. Uh, you have a job that 99% of people can never get. What do you know about people being equal? It's not equal. It's not supposed to be. Everybody is not equal because everybody's not the same. Everyone does not have the same skill. Everyone does not have the same talent. Not everyone makes the same decisions. So, of course, we are going to get different outcomes. Now, if there's a 5-7 guy and there's a 6-7 guy. Should the New York Knicks give both guys the same opportunity to make the team? No, because they're not equal. The Knicks know that they don't want that guy. If a lady likes to date tall men, should she give equal opportunity to a short guy? No, because she knows what she doesn't want. So sometimes in life, there are unequal outcomes. And sometimes there's supposed to be unequal outcomes. And sometimes there are unequal opportunities. And sometimes there are supposed to be unequal opportunities. So sometimes I hear people saying, they talk about things being unequal and I'm looking at their examples. And sometimes people come to me and they challenge me when I say something like that. And I say, okay, well, give me an example. And often people in my audience can't give me a good example of anything being unequal. And I'm like, well, listen, that, that's unequal for a reason. Sometimes in life, people do not get the same outcomes for a reason. And that doesn't mean that everyone doesn't deserve a chance. It doesn't mean everyone doesn't deserve um, the chance to you know, make themselves better and put themselves out there. But that's where I put myself. I put myself in position to help these people, first of all, understand that everything in life is not going to work out the way that you want it to work out. It's not going to go the, the way that you want it to go because you feel you quote unquote deserve it. And sometimes you might have to work a little bit harder. You might have to do a little bit more than someone else has to do. 
And I'll give you an example. Uh, outside of the basketball world, I've done professional speaking. Now, I'm a black guy coming from the sports world. And if you look at most of my content on the Internet, I'm not, I'm not wearing a business suit. I have on tank tops. I have tattoos. I wear T-shirts. I wear basketball shorts and hats. That's my normal. That's what I'm wearing right now while I'm talking to you all. But of course, when I get on a stage, I can change my clothes. But that's my normal presentation. And I tell people, listen, in the speaking world, if I'm going to get a speaking gig, I might, need to be, I might need to be 20 times better than the white guy to get the same gig. Now, is that inequality? Is that injustice? Maybe, depending on the way that you want to look at it. But I don't look at it like that. I'm not going to go protest it. All I know is that when I get on that stage, this is what I tell my audience. If you see me post a picture of me standing on the stage speaking, just know I had to be 20 times better than a whole bunch of other people who don't look like me to get that same gig. And I'm not telling you that to feel sorry for me. I'm telling you that to empower you to understand that somewhere in your life, you might have to do the exact same thing. And if you're not willing to do that, then you might be in the wrong game. And that's just the way that it works sometimes. And I, 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 my whole thing is called work on your game. So I tell people sometimes that's just the game. It's just the way the game works, that sometimes other people have to work 2% as hard as you do to get the exact same opportunity. You can complain about it if you want. You can be mad about it if you want. Or you can just get down to business and work on your game. And if ever we create this utopian society where everybody gets the exact equal chances and outcomes and everything, and you already had to be 20 times better than someone else, then, okay, you'll be sitting pretty at that point. But if that doesn't happen in your lifetime, know what you have to do to get there. Hey, everyone, this is Joe just reminding you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com where you can find and explore all of the content that we released under the EdUp Experience brand, including multiple podcast series, EdUp Elites, EdUp Embedded, and EdUp Experts. You can also suggest topics or guests for our podcast. Then head over to YouTube, check out our channel, The EdUp Experience, and you're going to find that my amazing co-host, Elizabeth Liba, has started a new web series called EdUp Unplugged, where she talks about racism in America with special guests coming on that web series. We've got a lot going on at the EdUp Experience. Again, check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. Now let's get back to our guest. You know, I think when you get down to it, though, it is per- so much of this is about your, your lifelong learning. And, you know, mm-hmm. this podcast is all about um, bringing you topics and, and no matter what, no matter what path the person chooses that we, we encourage them to live uh, and learn throughout their life. And I think that's what connects us with work on your game because it's about mm-hmm. lifelong learning. So what is prof- right. what does personal development mean within the work on your game brand uh, for education, mm-hmm. for self-awareness, for equity, diversity, inclusion? Why is it so important to, to develop yourself personally to um, ensure that those other parts of your life are fulfilled? Talk mm. about keeping it real, right? <laughs> well, nice. I, I, ha- I have one more question, too, as well, because um, I know that a lot of um, our audience, or some of them, I would say, look at social media, are active on social media, maybe are, have a YouTube channel or are active on LinkedIn or active on other social media channels. What do you mm-hmm. advise for people that are interested in, like you said, you wanted, you knew that you wanted to create a brand for yourself. You knew that you wanted to write and speak and, and mobilize mm-hmm. that aspect so that you could create change mm-hmm. or that you could influence people or so you could get your message out. 
what do you advise for people that are like, hey, you know, I want to write or maybe I want to, you know, talk about my educational, you know, whatever my philosophies are, or I want to talk about, I don't know, my hobby. How do, what, what steps would you advise for people that are looking to create a footprint in the social media world for themselves? First of all, commit, commit to doing it every day for a year. That's what I tell people. You want a podcast? Well, maybe if your show is not come out every day, put out an episode every week for you, 52 episodes. And after that 52 episodes, if you decide you want to quit, let's take a look at what you're doing and then we can decide where to go from there. You want to be a writer? Okay, sit down and write two, 300 words every single day for a year. And let's see how your writing improves. Let's see how you get better at coming up with ideas. You want to have a YouTube channel? Put out two videos a week for a year. So now that's 104 videos, let's say. At the end of that year, let's see where your audience is at. Let's see where your content is at, where your concepts are, how your editing skills have improved, how you got better at coming up with ideas for your content. But you have to commit. And a lot of times people are are dabbling these days. And because we have, I mean, on our phones, I think all of us on our phones, we have so many different things we could be doing. And if you get bored with one thing or it gets too hard, then you can just drop that and go do something else. There's always something to fill your time and take your attention. So people really have to just buckle down and commit to something for long enough to actually see a result, to see if you're actually good at this, if this is something that you could actually get better at, because most of the time we don't just jump into something and automatically we're amazing. You got to put a little bit of time in and it's going to be challenging at first. And there are going to be people who are a lot better than you. And it looks like you'll never get to where they are. But if you were to use that as a measuring stick for everything, you would never do anything. Nobody starts off. Most people, don't just walk into something and they're automatically amazing. And even if they are, then that could actually be a, a gift and a curse because then you don't realize that you have to do some work. And when it starts to get challenging, you're not conditioned for it. So the commitment is the number one thing to begin. The second thing is the authenticity. You have to be 100% authentic as to who you are. And I remember years ago, I don't know how much people do it, but people still do it now, but on social media, you have this thing called attraction marketing, right? Attraction marketing is, let's say you get people taking pictures next to their cars or in a, a nice house or next to the pool and, you know, showing off their, their material possessions. And the whole concept is to attract people who are interested in those things. And I never got into attraction marketing. I always thought it was corny. I always thought it was very, I just, I just didn't like it. And I know people who do it, people who I know personally, people who I respect, but that's just not my angle in the game. Yeah, I, even if I have some nice things to show off, I don't want to be respected for what I have. I'd rather be respected for what I can help you get because that's what work on your game is all about. So what I tell people, something that I, I talked about not too long ago is what I call rejection marketing. And rejection marketing works as follows, is that you are authentic enough in your message and you're saying something enough in your message that there are some people who are going to be turned off by it. There's some people who are not going to like it. Some people who are going to be so upset with your message that they will write you back or they'll at reply you or they'll comment on you or they'll rip your video off the internet, take a clip of it and bash you in the clip on their page just because they're so offended by what you said. And they are, they are completely rejected by you. They are rejecting you or you're rejecting them. But at the same time that every one person who rejects you, they're going to be two people who now are even more bought into you because the last thing you want to be these days online when there are so many options is right. It is interesting because the whole culture now is likes, right? On Instagram, you post a picture, you look to see how many likes did you get. You post a video on YouTube, it's a little thumbs up. Get the thumbs up there. You post a tweet, how many uh, retweets or likes saves did you get? 
or TikTok. I'm not really big on TikTok, but how much, whatever, Facebook, how much of the, the counting stats, right? Those, uh, they call them, I forget the name of it, but there's certain statistics, those vanity, vanity metrics that you get. And when you're trying to be liked, the problem with being liked is that it's very surface. It, it can be a mile wide, but it's only an inch deep. And the challenge with that is as soon as somebody else comes along who's more entertaining, who's funnier, who maybe takes a little bit more of their clothes off for their pictures, who they can be just a little bit more uh, outlandish in the way that they talk, or they're going to steal your whole audience from you because your audience was never that deeply bought into you. So the authenticity, and these days people can smell BS from a mile away. And when I talk to people in my audience, they say, you know, the thing that attracts me to you, Dre, is that I know you're being authentic. I know you're being real. You tell real stories from your real life. And you're talking about how you really thought and how you really felt and what you really did. And even though, here's the key thing, Liz and Joe, people in my audience say to me all the time, Dre, I read your article or I watched your video and I did not agree with what you said, but I respect the fact that you were willing to say it. And you're willing to say it in a respectful way, not in a way that would offend me so much that I'm like, I can't mess with this guy anymore, but in a way that even though I don't agree with you, I respect the way you built your argument and you made your case. And that's why I, I mess with you. That's why I'm subscribed to you. That's why I buy your stuff. And that's the biggest thing these days is to be authentic. Authenticity sells and it will always sell. And when you're authentic, you don't have to have a million followers. You can have a thousand, but those thousand will be so bought into you that they're never going to leave you for the next bright, shiny object. That's great advice. advice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really great advice. And uh, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot in there too that, uh, that that we can talk about and you know liz liz has uh liz has some trolls on on her social media accounts i still am waiting for my first dated breath i can't I'm gonna show you one of it. my trolls <laughs> well, i'm gonna, liz, I'm gonna liz, let well, you borrow one of mine well you talk about the right topic that come around yeah she liz made a fake account and then tried to troll me that it's just to give me satisfaction <laughs> but, uh, yeah that's what i'm gonna keep, keep doing yeah. be careful what you ask for yeah I uh, know, I know. I, I, I well, I'll wait, and it'll happen <laughs> yeah. organically. But, but uh, let's yeah. let's let, let me give you our final two uh, kind of questions. And and the first is, and just to give you a a once over higher education, bringing this back back around to to education. You know, we're going through a transition in higher ed. Um, mm-hmm. Schools um, are you've seen kids uh, repopulate campuses, get sent home. Coronavirus spikes. Colleges are merging, closing. There's financial um, burn. Sustainability is becoming a question uh, for universities. Can they make it in the next couple of years? You see college sports uh, being affected and all that revenue. Really, it's creating a financial, uh, a financial tightening of sorts, and that's going to put a lot of schools out of business in, in the long run. And, and you know, um, that, that's, sort of the, that's the first piece. The second piece is that we have people that work in these schools that are feeling that burn. They're feeling the burn working from home. Um, you know, working with students is hard right now. It's, it's uh, difficult to imagine your school closing. That creates uncertainty for you and your family. So higher ed needs motivating. So for our listeners, most, uh, most of them, I don't know all, but most are coming from higher education, decision makers at colleges and universities. What would be the benefit of bringing in a Dre all day to motivate my staff, um, to talk to me about bettering myself, uh, and and contributing to the the longevity of my institution. How can you help higher education get back on our feet and believe in what we're doing to help students? 
Well, first of all, I don't blow any smoke. All right, I'm going to give it to you direct. I'm going to give it to you real. It's going to be authentic. Secondly, and the same thing, this is what I tell anyone from a 14-year-old basketball player to somebody 60 years old working in a profession, is that success happens from the inside out. It starts with how you are seeing yourself. The principle of achievement, I've talked about this in my book, Working the Game, is be, do, and have. What happens in life is a lot of people focus on what a lot of people, everybody knows what they want. Well, most people, if you listen to this show, you have something that you want in life, like you just talked about, Joe. And then most people immediately go into, what do I need to do? Because, you know, we can't get something for nothing. So they start taking action. All right, let me do this. Let me try this. Let me listen to this. Let me read this. Let me sign up for that. The challenge that most people have, because they're doing all this stuff and they're working really hard, they're hustling, they're grinding and sweating, but they're still not getting to their outcome is because they never ask themselves the key question, which is, who do I need to be? Who do I need to be as a person? How do I need to approach life? How do I need to show up? How do I need to see myself when I look in the mirror? What kind of energy do I need to have? How do I want other people to see me even when I'm not in the room anymore? That is the being part of it. Work on your game. We focus on who you need to be first. That's the first step. That's the discipline, confidence, mental toughness. Who do you need to be as a person? Once that part is taken care of, then the being will lead to the doing. When you change who you are being as a person, your energy will change, your actions will change, and therefore your results will change. So what Work On Your Game is all about is getting everyone in that room. I don't care if it's a thousand people in the room, if I'm talking to 10 people, I'm talking to one person. The first thing we got to focus on is you. Where are you doing? How are you showing up? What is your energy? How are you approaching this work? Once we get clear on your part in this, then we can focus on what you're doing. Then we can focus on the strategy and the tactics and the actions. And when the strategy, tactics, and actions are infused with the right type of energy of being, then the results will come automatically. And even both of you and anyone who's listening to the show, I'll give you a, an anecdotal example that all of you, I think, will agree on. And that in life, there have been times when you were doing something. You were working really hard. You were showing up every day. You were following what you thought was the right plan, the exact strategy, and you were not getting the result. And you were getting frustrated. Maybe you were thinking about giving up. Maybe you did give up. And you couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. Then for whatever reason, your energy changed. Maybe you became more confident because somebody gave you some advice that told you that if you kept going, this would work out. Maybe it's because you got angry and anger creates focus. It creates tunnel vision focus. And that anger changed the way that you approach that work. Maybe it's because you just felt more positive the next day. You got better sleep the night before. You ate a good meal. You saw one of your friends. You thought of something good. You heard one of your favorite songs. Something changed your energy, your being. Then you went and did the exact same thing that hadn't been working all that time, and all of a sudden it started working. Why is that? It's because your being changed. When your inner game changes, the outer game changes in itself. That's why work on your game. The, the keyword is, well, all of them are keywords, but it's your game, not their game, not what somebody else needs to do, not how the system needs to change for you. What is your game? When your game is in the right place, you can make something happen. So that's what work on your game is about. So any higher level uh, decision, higher education decision maker who's wondering, or who's somebody who can come in and give a message that's going to help bring us up and uh, uplift everybody and elevate the overall the tide, over, overall tide so that all the ships rise. That's what work on your game is about. What can we each do individually to bring all of our games up was going to bring the whole community up as one. Uh, you can't force 
the whole community can come up. But if each individual person takes personal ownership of raising their own game, then the whole community comes up. That's the only way that it has ever worked. That's the only way that it is going to work. I love it. So, so I, I would imagine you've convinced some higher education administrator out there to bring you in as the next keynote speaker for a graduation to talk to their graduates about getting out of school. I think that would be a motivating message for, for those people. Uh, how do we get a hold of you, uh, Dre? For anybody that's listening, how do we get a hold of Dre all day? What's the best way to reach out and, and talk about services and, and uh, speaking opportunities that you may have? Sure. My website homepage is dreallday.com. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So, Please, as always, feel free to share this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.